The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of the Reconstructionist Radio Network. I am Russell Trawick and I pastor Christ Covenant Church, a Christian Reconstructionist congregation in Alvin, Texas. Let's start with today's episode. I was asked about a month ago to take on a particular subject called the Hebrew Roots Movement, and in the process of researching it, I was preaching through the Sabbath command using R.J. Rushton's the Institutes of Biblical Law, and I was reading Joel McDermott's new book, The Bounds of Love, An Introduction to God's Law of Liberty. In this process, I was reminded of a valuable principle. The more one talks about a subject, gives attention to, and even criticizes it, the more value one can give to it. While at the God and Government Conference this year, hosted by uh, American Vision in Kerrville, Texas, I heard Matt Truella say my paraphrase the older i get the more i realize how much time i do don't have to waste there's a sense of urgency and i don't have time to waste on the insignificant things in joel mcdermott's the bounds of love and introduction to god's law and liberty he writes in chapter one that it's an unfortunate that theonomists in the past have had to spend more time saying what theonomy is not than what it is Yes, Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So yes, we are supposed to expose them, but also verse 12 following says, It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to expose the darkness by giving vast critiques of shortcomings and fallacies. We give no time to reveal the light, nor how one applies the truth of God's word to the very sphere or topic we are exposing. So before I get caught up in such a vicious cycle myself, let me expose the Hebrew Roots Movement for what it is and move on from there. I have entitled this, The Hebrew Roots Movement, Antinomianism, and Joel McDermott. The Hebrew Roots Movement is hard to nail down because there is no ecclesiastical structure and there have... There have been many influences and deviations to its doctrines. It has been influenced by the worldwide Church of God, but it's not of the uh, Church of God, regardless of the similarities. Although I do not adhere to all the tenets uh, or doctrines of the gotquestions.org, I'd like to use their description of the Hebrew Roots Movement, saying, The premise of the Hebrew Roots Movement is the belief that the church has veered far from the true teachings of the Hebrew concepts of the Bible. The movement maintains that Christianity has been indoctrinated with the culture and beliefs of Greek and Roman philosophy, and and that ultimately biblical Christianity taught in churches today has been corrupted with a pagan imitation of the New Testament Gospels. Those of the Hebrew roots belief hold to the teaching that Christ's death on the cross did not end the the Mosaic Covenant, but instead renewed it, expanded its message, and wrote it on the hearts of his true followers. 
They teach that the understanding of the New Testament can only come from a Hebrew perspective and that the teachings of the Apostle Paul are not understood clearly or taught correctly by Christian pastors today. Many affirm the existence of an original Hebrew language New Testament and in some cases denigrate the existing New Testament text written in Greek. This becomes a subtle attack on the reliability of the text of our Bible. If the Greek text is unreliable and has been corrupted as is charged by some, the church no longer has a standard of truth. Although there are many different and diverse Hebrew roots assemblies with variations in their teachings, they all adhere to a common emphasis on recovering the original Jewishness of Christianity. Their assumption is that the church has lost its Jewish roots and is unaware that Jesus and his disciples were Jews living in obedience to the Torah. For the most part, those involved advocate the need for every believer to walk a Torah-observant life. This means that the ordinances of the Mosaic Covenant must be a central focus in the lifestyle of believers today, as it was in the Old Testament Jews of Israel. Keeping the Torah includes keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, celebrating the Jewish feasts and festivals, keeping the dietary laws, avoiding the paganism of Christianity, i.e. Christmas, Easter, etc., and learning, how to under, learning to understand the scriptures from a Hebrew mindset. They teach that the Gentile Christians have been grafted into Israel, and this is one reason every born-again believer in Jesus, the Messiah, is to participate in these observances. It is expressed that doing this is not re uh, required out of legalistic bondage, but out of a heart of love and obedience. However, they teach that to live a life that pleases God, this Torah-observant walk must be a part of that life. The emphasis on their doctrine in itself is a return to, the, to obedience to the Torah, and there are multiple problems with this. These are similar problems that strict Sabbatarians in Christianity face. In fact, let me show you a few things that cause these groups' emphases to fall apart just regarding the Sabbath, highlighting a few points from my last podcast called What is the Sabbath? Based from R.J. Rushtuni's The Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1. First, the Sabbath in the Old, Test Old Testament law was not primarily a day of worship, but it was a day of rest. And I reiterate this time as well that it was a day of worship. It was not a day of worship, but a day of rest. Second, severe laws enforced the Sabbath rest, not worship. The laws were in, in regards to work, for the key of the Sabbath command is six days you shall work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. The key was that neither you nor your family or your employees or your animals were to work, but rather rest. The only exceptions come to those points regarding the life and livelihood of others or animals or protecting oneself from enemy invasion. Invasion. Third, after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no keeping of the Sabbath penalties in the church. Fourth, not only has the legal status of the law changed, but the day of rest has been changed from the Hebrew Sabbath to the Christian day of resurrection. Fifth, the Hebrew Sabbath and the modern Saturday cannot be equated. Rushdoni wrote, The calendar of Israel at Sinai was a solar calendar, and it's not to be confused with the modern Jewish solar lunar calendar of AD 359. 
He quoted Curtis Clare Ewing saying, There are three Sabbaths spoken of in Scripture. The creation Sabbath, the Hebrew Sabbath, which commemorated the deliverance from Egypt, and the Christian Sabbath, which is kept in commemoration of Christ's finished resurrection is the, and is the only Sabbath that remains. You see, Exodus 28 says to remember the Sabbath day, to remember it. While Deuteronomy 5.12 says to observe or to keep or abide in or obey the Sabbath. Therefore, Rushdie emphasized that the Hebrew calendar began its dating from the deliverance from Egypt. As Ewing points out, the Hebrews retained the Egyptian calendar of 12 months of 30 days, but instead of adding five supplementary days at the end of the year, they added three at the end of the sixth month and two at the end of the twelfth month. The 15th day of Abib, the first month, had to be a Sabbath every year, which meant that the first and eighth day of Abib were fixed Sabbaths, as were the seven Sabbaths following the 15th of Abib. Found in Leviticus 23:6-7, verse 11, and 15-16. The 50th day would then be Pentecost. Now the Sabbath of Abib 15th being fixed by date, it follows that these seven successive Sabbaths must also have been on fixed dates and would fall as, a lot, as follows. Abib 22, 29, Ayar uh, 6, 13, 20, 27, and Savon 4. But no possibility... Can there be be seven Sabbaths complete from Abib 15 to Sivan 4th unless those Sabbaths came on fixed dates of the month every year? Since the date of the month was constant, the day of the week was variable. This means that once in seven years, each of them would fall on every single day of the week, just as your birthday comes on a different day of the week every year. Attempts to treat Saturdays as the true Sabbath, apart from being non-Christian, are also non-biblical in their radical variants from the Sabbath of Israel. Can you now hear and see why I took this path regarding the Sabbath? Neither the Hebrew roots observant, nor the strict Sabbatarian can or do keep the Sabbath command today, literally. And calling men to obey a law which is unattainable is even more of a problem. See, James 2.10 tells us, For whoever keeps the law, whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. If you come from the Hebrew roots perspective, the Sabbath is not on Saturday. And if you come from the strict Christian Sabbatarian perspective, it is not Sunday or the Lord's Day either. The Sabbath has less to do with a day, but more to do with life and how one lives and works and how he rests from that work unto the Lord and how he finds his ultimate rest of all things in Christ alone because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Hebrew Roots movement is dead in the water right from the start because they cannot keep the entirety of the law of God in any form, whether culturally or symbolically or physically through temple worship and sacrifice. Not that they believe in temple worship or sacrifice. I, I'll get to the reason why they can't keep the law in, in the manner by which they try in a moment. Uh, another extreme, which I'll mention only momentarily, is antinomianism. Anti meaning against and nomos meaning law. When I speak of antinomianism, we are speaking of those who are against God's law. There are those who believe we are under grace and not the law. I have dealt with this fallacy in past podcast episodes, but just read Romans 3 and Romans 7 
But most emphatically, Christ's own words in Matthew 5, 17-20, saying, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not going to go too much further than this in discussing antinomianism, but a Christian cannot be antinomian. We cannot claim to love God, but not love His law word, or to be against it. 1 John 2, 3-6 says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Then he goes on in, in, in chapter 5 of 1 John saying, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has, who has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? To love God is to love His commandments, His very law word. We cannot dare to say that the pinnacle of Christianity is salvation alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Such thinking would lead to a lack of purpose. I, I am saved now, and I guess that's it. I don't think so. For James 2, verses 18 through 26, puts this to rest. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You, will believe, that God, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You want, don't you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the, script, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, even our Lord says in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does it say? Teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. There is no room for a denial of the law, yet there is room for discussion, though, about the applicability of the law today. And that is what I want to focus the remainder of this podcast on today. This is the paradigm that we're dealing with. It's neither a complete adherence to all the law or revival of its practices, nor is it a a complete deletion of the law and replacing it with something else. It all comes down to what Christ said in Matthew 5.17, that he came to fulfill all of the law and prophets. To fulfill is about the supreme purpose of Christ's work through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He is the fulfillment of what the path of the law and the prophets were leading to, and his supreme purpose was not an abrogation or annihilation of the law either. The study of God of, of God's law is called theonomy. From theos, meaning God, and once again, nomos, meaning law. Joel McDermott, in his latest book, defined theonomy as the biblical teaching that Mosaic law contains perpetual moral standards for living, including some civil laws which remain obligatory today. Joel has taken some hits from others that claim Christianity regarding a theonomy, including in a debate not too long ago, long ago and... I'm not failing to remember his opponent's name, but as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I will not give weight to to a defeated foe or value to them or free advertisement. But even more recently, he he has taken heat with the release of this book, The Bounds of Love. Many of those who criticize him over this book aren't in the theonomy camp in the first place. They have even made fallacious allegations that he has left theonomy and that American vision is doomed and so on. Why? Well, he no longer fits their straw man fallacy in regards to what they believe is and define as theonomy. If he, is, if he no longer fits their fallacious definition slash understanding of what they think uh, theonomy is, then rightfully so in their fallacy, Joel is no longer a theonomist. The problem theonomists and antinomians have is the same as the atheist that spends his time arguing against the notion of a God that they don't believe exists, but never address the tooth fairy, the Easter money, or even the pagan version of Santa Claus as perpetuated today. The antinomian says that they don't believe that God's law is enforceable today. What then about murder, theft, and so on? What are we to do in regards to these matters of the law? Is the answer just blind and unfettered grace to the perpetrator and injustice for the victim? Uh, for the victim? Uh, in many cases, that is what the antinomians ultimately mean and expect. They don't believe in justice for the victim, but a grace based on the possibility of such a violator of God's law might become saved if they just have enough time in prison and give it enough gospel presentations. They believe in a grace that does not extend to the victim, just an expectation that the victim forgive, forget, and move on. God's law is not only about justice, but peace, and this does not exist apart from God's law word applied. Let me settle this for you. Joel is still a theonomist, and he has done what many are not willing to do. He put forth the time, work, and effort to silence both the critics of Christianity 
and the antinomian themselves. He took on a task that R.J. Rushdeny and Greg Bonson and Gary North have all hinted at, but never had the time or ability to completely flush it out. He helps us understand the, the Matthew 5.17 principle of, the, of fulfillment and what applies and does not apply, saying, You now have the categories by which to discern for yourselves. Read the law. In each case, ask yourself, Does this law or part of it pertain to the old temple rites, calendar, priesthood, sacrifices, etc.? Does this law pertain to the old land boundaries? Does it pertain to the bloodline separations or seed laws? Does it pertain to any of those aspects of the old covenant administration that the New Testament demonstrates changed with Jesus? Does it pertain to the first table offenses, special devotion to destruction, or stoning penalties? If so, that law or part of a law is vanished away. If not, then you can safely assume that law expresses an abiding principle of righteousness, love, and justice. It will have applications to individuals, families, churches, and possibly even state, assuming it is a state-focused law to begin with. You need to start studying it in this light and asking questions, having discussions, and applying it where you can. In doing so, you will be using the law lawfully, 1 Timothy 1.8. I know that this quote leaves a lot of the content out, but for that you need to buy and read this, his book. A good summary is found in this quote, hence we must study the law word of God and know it. We must not only read quotes and entertain ourselves in our social media groups, but we must study God's law through his word and other resources and know it. The Hebrew Roots Movement makes the claim that most modern Christians are like the Pharisees of the Jesus of Jesus' day, having the law while not submitting to it, but replacing it with a uh, with a with laws and writings of their own. This is true in part. However, these adherents do the same thing in not fully understanding and resting in the work of Christ and his fulfillment. They are like the Judaizers of the day in requiring salvation in Christ and circumcision. And Paul responded in Galatians 5 verses 1 through 6 saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away by grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, rather, the Hebrew roots observant spends their time in ritual to attain a pietistic reward that they, like the Pharisee, will never receive heavenward. On the other hand, the antinomian makes the claim that the law no longer pertains, but only grace. This leads not to freedom in Christ Jesus, but rather autonomy from, and I would say ultimately, anarchy against God, his law word, and his purpose for the believer. God's law points out that we are lawbreakers, transgressors, sinners, and if we are so, we fall short of God's glorious standard. And if we fall short of His standard, we need a perfect standard bearer, a Savior, the only perfect law keeper, Jesus Christ. We need the law of God, both to call the sinner to repentance and the further uh, and the further sanctification of the believer. We need to know and understand the law, what applies and how it applies. We need to know what doesn't apply and why, and, and, and stop 
wasting our time explaining and exposing that which is vapor, vanishing and wasting away. There must be a sense of urgency for us to work to the glory of God day by day according to his word, his truth, his law. We then, therefore, must understand God's law word and what applies and how it applies. And and until next time, stand firm, remain steadfast, run the race God has marked out for you, and keep your eye on that which is eternal. Build his kingdom one moment, one day, one week, one month, one year at a time. God bless you and yours. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.